Welcome to the Collide Podcast. We're a growing community of everyday gals colliding with Jesus in our mess, our pain, our joy, and our stories. We value showing up as we truly are, so that's what you'll find here. Walls and masks being torn down so that we can allow Jesus to meet us where we truly are and hear about other women doing the same. We can't wait to collide with you. But we just knew people were praying for us and they told us that. I just, it's like Jesus is praised for people in the, after, right at the end of his last supper, he prays for all, all the disciples. And he wanted them to know that he was praying for them. And there's something about telling somebody that you're praying for them and you pray for them that is amazingly grace-giving to know that someone loves you enough to pray for you. Welcome to the Clyde Podcast. I'm Willow Weston, the founder and director of Collide. And today I get to sit down with Bill Gilfillan on the podcast. Bill is a husband, dad, and grandfather and known as a friend to all he meets. In fact, I think today as you spend time with Bill, you'll feel like he is one of your friends after listening to him. He's served as a pastor for 43 years and has so much to impart to us about what he's learned on the journey. He received his seminary degree fresh out of college and has been serving God ever since. And even though you might call him retired, he is far from such, looking at every season as an opportunity to be used by God to touch lives and impact the world. And so today, my hope is that we will be impacted as we go about what we're doing, listening to this podcast, but learning from Bill. So Bill, thank you for hopping on. It's so fun to hang out with you. Oh, likewise, Will. Uh, I'm already enjoying uh, being with you, so go for it. <laughs> well, you you say that you feel like you've wasted a day if you didn't make a new friend. Tell me about where this mindset comes from and how you meet new friends every day. Oh, that's a fun question. Uh, when I was a uh, sophomore in high school, we moved from uh, Beaumont to Austin, Texas, and I went from knowing all these amazing people in high school to knowing no one. Mm. And uh, uh, so I decided that I would get to know the name of everybody in my sophomore class. And by the end of my junior year, I knew everybody in my class. There were about 300. And I would say hi to everybody and whenever it was right. And when I graduated, it, the strangest thing happened. There were people who were there that I'd never seen. And I didn't know that you could do high school without being in high school. And, uh, but I have just, uh, I come alive when I meet new people mm. and I try to treat people as if I already belong to them and as if they already belong to me. And, mm. um, uh, Vincent van Gogh had an interesting thing a long time ago. He says, most people are like uh, fires in a fireplace, but people walk right past them and never get warmed up. And I, I try to look for something intriguing or beautiful in everybody I meet. Mm. And lots of times I get warmed up or I find something really winsome or attractive about that person. Mm. So, um, I don't know. I'm, I just, I, I enjoy, people are like books. And I love to get the story, even if it's just a two or three minute thing. Um, I, I want to find out what their story is. And I think mm-hmm. people are interested. You know, I know you're not just saying that because Rob, my husband and I were on a walk last week and down by the water and we ran into you and your wife and we didn't pass each, just pass each other and say hi. I mean, we stopped and you asked my husband so many questions about what he does and his passion. Next thing you know, he's talking about what, why he does what he does. And, um, I saw you actually do this in action just recently. It's interesting to me that you 
you live with a perspective that you already belong to them and they already belong to you. And I think why that's interesting is a lot of people wander around in life and they have a belief that they don't belong. Yeah. And so they run into us and we have, I call it a wounded collision, but they mm-hmm. run into us and they assume they don't belong to you. Mm-hmm. What do you think it does when you run into someone who assumes that they're not going to be loved or rejected or they don't belong and you show them right away that they belong to you? Uh, I think a lot of people have their guard. I think most people have their guard up. Mm-hmm. and. So when you, like you had Randy Prieston a while back and Randy is just the ultimate engager and Randy, I've learned so much from Randy, but part of what he does so well is that he asks engaging questions. And when people know that you're curious about them without trying to take advantage of them, Mm -hmm. they, they open up. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think there's, you know, you could be in line at a grocery store and uh, at the checkout line, you don't want to have a con- long conversation there. You're ready to go. But <laughs> you could be looking at the same thing in, the, in an aisle and say, I don't know if I want to try that product. What do you, do you have you ever tried that? But if you can find something in common. Then you have a little island on to start with. And that island can grow when you show that you're curious about them. Hmm. Uh, you never know. And then I. I also, you know, because of my trust that God is in control of things and wants to connect people, I ask God all the time, who is it that I get to meet today? Mm-hmm. And so I go in with a sense of expectation uh, that I am going to meet somebody. My poor wife has to live with me and, <laughs> you know, she's ready to do her business and get on with the real part of living. And uh, so it's dangerous when she drops me off someplace and I'll go in for five minutes and turns it into 15. So, Oh yeah. We're I through that issue in our marriage. Yeah. Oh yeah. We'll be, our whole family will go on vacation and we're ready to leave and we're in our car and we're sitting in the car in a parking garage and Rob's made friends in an elevator. Meanwhile, we're, we're waiting to leave. I, I know yeah. that. Right? right. But I do think, wow, what a simple thing we can all do every single day is make new friends and remind people they belong because they matter. Their life matters. I love that you do that so much. You have been a pastor for 43 years and you handed your life to Jesus at age eight. And I'm just curious, how did you work within the walls of the church, but not forget about life outside of it? Ooh, another really good question. Um, I think for me, uh, I, I think the church does exist for, for God's honor and for his joy and his purposes. And I think the church exists to help people uh, in the community already to become strong in their faith and their love and their hope and mm-hmm. in their service and using what they're finding out and using what their strengths are and gifts. But we're the church, the family of God exists for people who aren't yet in the family. And so I always want to keep my eye out, you know, for a ministry that has nothing to do with church. So I started out as a staff pastor and I saw how hard and harder my boss, the senior pastor, worked than I did. And I thought, you know. Uh, he was exceptionally guilt, gifted. He was Mensa. So it was just, wow, I get to work with this guy. Hmm. But um, I've always felt when I was a staff pastor that I needed to work almost as hard as a senior pastor. And so I would look for things outside church to do. When we moved to Bellingham, uh, I had that mentality even as a senior pastor. So I became a volunteer chaplain with the our city of Bellingham with the Bellingham uh, Fire Department. And uh, um, I, when we were in Minnesota, we started, our church started this thing, uh, became a chapter of, a, of, of what's called Family Promise. And it helps uh, 
homeless kids uh, find places to live and their families. So it's just like, I got to take care of my own family first, the church. But I want the church to see that we are here for other people. And the best way to do that, I think, is for, in my case as a pastor, is to model getting involved with things that don't have, that are for the community that may or may not help my own church. Mm -hmm. That's really cool that you're involved in so many things outside the church, Bill. You say you said yes to Jesus at age eight and again at age 17, and, and that you say yes to him every day. What do you think waking up and saying yes to Jesus looks like all day, every day? It depends on the day, but uh, here's a general framework. Um, I think a day is a gift from our Father who loves us the most. And I just want to tell Him, I want to be receptive to whatever He brings my way. And uh, it's so, my difficulty is not so much saying yes, my difficulty is saying no. <laughs> Two opportunities. Um, but to answer your question more specifically, it's it starts, I talk to God before I get out of the bed. And I pray for my family and then my extended family and some people in my church. Um, but I, I am looking for opportunities to, um, Jesus gave his life away once for all. And I think most of us give our lives away in little pieces. And so I'm saying, Lord, where do I sacrifice? Where do I offer? Where do I present myself to somebody today? Mm -hmm. And uh, I just go looking for those opportunities. And again, as a pastor, it's a lot easier to do that as a staff person than it is as a senior pastor because they got more to handle than they know what to do. What does it do to a person to be seen as the one who's serving, helping, giving, pouring out like you did for so long, you know, over four decades? Did you ever feel like you were an ATM machine or did you ever hit burnout? Oh, yeah. I remember talking to my dad one time and uh, he was a businessman, owned and operated several st retail stores in Texas. And I said, maybe I should stop being a pastor and uh, go into business with you or something. And he says, I think God's got plenty of good Christian businessmen. He needs some good pastors. And it was at the time when all these pastors, and they still, there were all these pastors burning out, you know, with affairs and stuff like that. But as far as the ATM thing, um, I, one of my difficulties, again, is not so much saying yes, it's saying no. Mm -hmm. And so I have to learn that not every opportunity, not every op not every responsibility, not every need, even though they're legit, have my name attached to that particular need. Mm -hmm. And so one of the big things God's teaching me these days is, again, not every responsibility has my name on it. And so I use the extroversion that God has given me to connect people with people. And so uh, I try to find other people who can do a better job at that than I can. And sometimes love means saying no to perfectly legitimate uh, needs. So it's a, I knew saying yes would mean that I would get a lot of asks on me. Mm -hmm. uh, it's like becoming a parent. You never know how many needs you have to meet, even with adult kids. Uh, but um, I don't know. You just sort of make peace with it, I think. Yeah. You shared with me that a few years back, your wife sensed that your time had sort of run out serving a church call, and you knew you were running out of leadership gas, but you'd always thought in your own mind that you'd served there your whole career. You kind of had it set out to do that. And so you didn't move. And you say now you had a misconception that God would send you some sort of certified letter telling you it was time to move on. And, and I'd like to hear more about that. 
because I think a lot of us think like that. I think we are so committed to something that we feel like if we were to move, we would feel like quitters. What did you learn or some of the signs from that, that it's time to move on? Well, since I'm talking with you and with your friends that collide on the podcast, I'm going to answer this as a guy first, okay? <laughs> Speaking to new friends I'm making today all over wherever people are listening. Um, I look at our marriage that I have with Louise as a partnership. And, um, and yet I felt called to ministry before we ever got married. And I felt like this was a individual thing between me and Jesus. We get married and Louise knew that she would be a pastor's wife. And so she bought into that. But I also said that Louise is my partner in life, not just my wife. Mm -hmm. uh, we were really good friends. She's more than a good friend. She's more than my wife. She's my partner in what I call Gilfill and Inc. And, <laughs> and it really helps a marriage if you see it that way, that it's anyway. So um, as equal partners, I had to struggle because part of me says, listen to your wife. And part of me says, no, this was a deal I had with God before I ever got married. And I think there was a little bit of arrogance in me thinking that God would send it a message to me and that he wouldn't do it through my partner of all things, my closest human in my whole life. Hmm. And, uh, in so many areas, we really are equals. But in that area, I held on to it. And um, sure enough, she was right. And so I ran out of energy and gas and vision. And I think the church was recognizing it. Mm -hmm. At the same time, the church wasn't as interested in following this leader as she once was. And I think my wife was catching on to that before I was. And um, so sure enough, I got the proverbial certified letter from the board. Mm. And it was pretty official saying, Bill, we love you, but, you know, we want to keep you on staff, but we want you to step down as the senior leader. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we're kind of both right on that. But I think you can tell it's time to go when some of the people closest to you give you that message. Mm -hmm. And especially if it's a spouse, uh, but it could be somebody else who could say, you know, I, I could think you could, I think your time may be drawn. And I had a couple other people tell me that, and I just didn't know how to hear that or respond to that. It just took me time. But I also had a friend who was an elder who in our church who told me, he says, you know, it really doesn't matter where in God's orchard you serve. It's just that you get to pick many times where, as long as you are tending the fruit. And that gave me a lot of freedom to say goodbye to the church where we were serving and look for another opportunity. I wasn't leaving the orchard. I was just leaving that part of the orchard where I had been so long and become accustomed to. It's really interesting because... A lot of people, and it, and it doesn't really matter. It could be they're in a relationship they don't want to let go of. They're in a career. They're at a church. They um, have an idea of the path they were supposed to be on, whatever it is. And they've set their mind that this is what they always pictured or what they always thought. And they can get this sense that maybe it's time to move, but fear or um, being, you know, holding fast to that original plan almost makes you grip it and hold on to it so tight. And I've seen this in so many people's lives where it almost hurts worse when you don't listen to God's, you know, little whispers letting you know it's time to move on. Cause then he has to sort of like, I'm holding my fist here and people can't see. And, but I have a fist and like when God has to unpeel your fingers. Yeah you to get you to let go of something because it's yeah. not yours anymore it hurts so much worse i mean i see people do that in relationships where they're holding on so tightly to something that god has said let go of or or a career or whatever and so here you are 
your wife kind of let you know that she thought it was time to move on. You were holding tight to this idea. You now say it was an arrogant idea that you yeah. you weren't listening to her. And the church comes to you and asks you to resign, which hurts a lot worse than if you would have moved in the first place. So we had to kind of ungrip your fingers so that you could let go of something. You describe that time as one of the hardest times in your marriage going through being asked to resign and then going into a time of isolation. Can you describe what that was like for you guys? Yeah. Uh, let me give it in two ways. The first way was with the hardship that caused in our marriage and then just the social hardship. Mm. So, <clears throat> so the church the elders and I still get along really well to this day. And mm-hmm. there's nothing real personal involved in it, believe it or not. And um, so uh, when the elders said, hey, Bill, we love you. We want, we want you to stay on in a staff role, step down to that and leave the senior position. I was relieved. I felt this giant backpack fall mm-hmm. off my shoulders. Mm-hmm. At the same time, my wife was furious that her guy was being treated so mean by, you know, in her view, I'd given 20 years almost to the church, and this is what they do. Hmm. And the mama bear (laughs) came out. And I tell you the truth, this is public. I felt sorry for the board. I mean, (laughs) she was tough. She wasn't mean, but she was just she wrote a letter and just ran them. <laughs> she told him what she really thought. Mm-hmm. But the problem was, is I, while I felt relief to go on, she felt ready to stand her ground and fight for her guy. Mm-hmm. And we were going at this, we had opposite reactions and it made it really hard at home for each of us to try to see mm-hmm. how the other person was processing this. Mm-hmm. So um, she would have gone anywhere just to get out of Bellingham. And um, it was just, it just made it really hard. And uh, the way we both have our unique relationship with God, she's much more blunt with him. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm easier going. When we're good for each other that way, and I've learned how to be more direct with God, and you know she's learning what she's learning, so it was really hard on the two of us privately, mm-hmm. and it was also hard because I'm a real connector with people. I mean, people don't even—I make a new friend all the time, and so I get energized by seen old friends as well as new ones. And yet I'd be in a grocery store and here comes somebody I've known for a long time. I didn't want to talk to anybody. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I would just turn the grocery cart and go find another aisle that I didn't think anybody would be on just to avoid. I didn't have the strength to process even a greeting or say hi to anybody. And for me, that was just, new territory. Mm-hmm. So um, I don't know. I, I, all I can say is that God was good to us and helped us work through our marriage differences and made our marriage stronger because of it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and some of that pain I still have today, uh, you know, with some of my church buds, uh, but I still... I walk, I'm walk, I'm walking through it and doing pretty good and want everybody who feels like they may have hurt me to get past it. Yeah. Bill, it's so interesting to me, and I appreciate how honest you're being. It's so interesting to me that the guy who started this interview out talking about how he can make friends in a grocery store on an aisle over a product got to a place where he had to turn his cart and couldn't even talk to people that he was friends with. And I think... So many of us listening can resonate with hitting a season in our life where we just, we're just going into isolation, you know? I mean, 
I resonate with you in so many ways. I'm an extrovert. I'm a party girl. I like people. I like to be out and about and um, for completely different reasons, but I just have been going through so much loss in the last month. I couldn't even go to a grocery store. I, I literally, people would come to my door and I'd tell my husband, like, just tell people I'm sleeping because I couldn't, I knew I'd just fall apart. You know, I think mm-hmm. we all hit seasons in our life where we isolate and you're making that really like a real experience and normalizing it that it happens to all of us. It does. And I just, I think we need to accept that and, uh, and not beat ourselves up that we're going through it and just embrace it, knowing that it's, it's just a, it won't necessarily be for the rest of our lives. Most of us desire to do amazing things with our lives, but we often doubt that we can. We let our weaknesses boss around our strengths and our insecurities drown out our gifting. But what if God could use exactly what we've got to pull off something big? Our book titled Yes You is a beautifully designed, full-color, 12-part Bible study where we center around the passage in John 6 where Jesus fed 5,000 people with one boy's lunch. As you engage scripture, read personal stories, and reflect on questions that invite you to new places, you'll be challenged, encouraged, and inspired. We can't wait for you to dive into this study, so go to wecollide.net slash store to get your copy of Yes You now. Yeah, it's also really interesting to me because you say your wife and you flip-flop. Your wife was sensing it was time to go. You didn't act on that. And then you were asked to go. Then she went into protection mode, which makes total sense to me as as a wife or as someone who just loves someone. It reminds me of, you know, I used to be in college ministry and a girl knows she needs to break up with a boy and she's kind of over him, but she's like holding on to him, but she doesn't break up with him. And then he breaks up with her and then she's all mad. She knew last week. And she should have broke up with him. And so then she goes through this crying all the time because of the rejection. But in actuality, she knew she should have done it (laughs) or he did it. Yeah, It it does play this weird mind thing that brings up all sorts of feelings of rejection. And then I could see the isolation and the hardship it would cause between you and your wife. How did you rise out of that pain and that isolation? I mean, I hear you saying like, you still carry some of it, which I think is really real too. And so many of us can resonate that it would be a lie. And sometimes there's a temptation in Christian culture to be like, oh, I'm a pastor and I got over it because God is good. (laughs) But like, you're being honest, there's still some pain. But how did you move out of that isolation and, and some of those struggles with your wife? And now you're back making friends in the grocery store. You have peace with people on the board and you and your wife were able to look back and learn together. I wish I'd had a, a uh, instruction manual to, you know, go by, you know, when all that was happening, you're not given an instruction manual, say on the first day of the, when you have a problem with your spouse, this is what you do. You got to pray and talk with other people. Um, That's a really smart thing to do is to find somebody you can confide in just so you can just dump it all out. And Mm -hmm. I do think that we were made to belong and that's a time to find one person. It could be someone far away who's safe, you know, or it could be somebody that you is just a really good friend who's close, but find a friend just to process it with. Mm-hmm. And then obviously talk to God about it. Um, I tried to put wheels. I tried to take some action. So I started looking for another place to serve. Mm-hmm. And um uh, I had some realistic expectations because it takes time and some particular, if you lose your job mm-hmm. to find that exact kind of job. Uh, so I had some realistic expectations, but I always saw it that there, what, what action could I take? 
mm-hmm. you know, in the meantime. Um, Louise and I would, together, we would take little road trips, you know, just the two of us, just to get out of the house and look at things. Um, again, I, I, I ran into a local pastor, uh, Bob Marvel, who was an awesome help to me during that time, who knew what it was like as a pastor, because he is a pastor, was a pastor. Mm-hmm. I could talk to him and he was very empathetic and listened and was just there for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think you just go in the general direction that you think you should go. And without knowing what a week from today will look like, but you keep going in that direction. Like I love that verse in Proverbs four it says the path of the righteous is like the dawning of the day that shines brighter and brighter until the full day. And I think we don't get the, the new job or the better relationship or get out of the agony right away. It's, it's like the day has to take its own time to come. It's just like the dawning of the day. And it, it, it gets you, oh, I maybe I should try that. And you go there and it gets a little brighter and a little brighter, but you don't get the full picture on day one. Mm-hmm. And, but you, you go, you try to, God feeds the birds, but the birds are all over the place doing what they can to build a nest or find food. They, they take action in the little things. So I don't know. I just mm-hmm. had confidence that God would guide, but I knew that I needed to do my part too. Right. You mentioned that we were made to belong. And I love that so much because I think if we're in isolation, it's so easy to feel like we don't. And to remind yourself you are made to belong and to find one person, two people that are safe people that make you feel like you belong so that you can get back to what you know to be true is so important. I appreciate you sharing a bit about that season you're in. You say that you looked to act to figure out how to serve again. You ended up getting a call to Minnesota to pastor. And um, then, so you moved from the Pacific Northwest out to the, to Minnesota. And then you got a call about your granddaughter and that call kind of changed everything that brought you back to the Pacific Northwest. Do you want to share a little bit about that? Yeah, that's one of the most important chapters in, in my life. Um, so we have three uh, grown kids now. And our oldest son lives here. He's married to an amazing lady, <laughs> our daughter-in-law, and they have three kids. We're in Minnesota, and our family's back here. And um, we get a call from our daughter-in-law saying that our granddaughter uh, is being flown from Bellingham to Children's Hospital in Seattle for emergency life-saving surgery. She has brain cancer and nobody knew it. She had been having some symptoms that nobody could figure out for several months. And they did a CAT scan and right on her uh, brain stem, there is this deadly cancer. So they helicopter to Seattle. We fly from Minnesota to Seattle. And... um Anyway, the surgery saves her life. And then they say, the good news is if chemo will work now in so many years, she may be actually cancer free. And so Hmm. she's six months old and has six months worth of cancer treatments. And so we were in Minnesota, and my wife is an amazing professional. She has uh, been working in hospitals for a long time. And um, once a month, Louise would fly from Minneapolis-St. Paul on a mid-afternoon on a Friday to SeaTac, go to Children's, and uh, be with our kids, and then fly home Sunday night, get up at 4.30 in the morning on Monday make an hour commute into Minneapolis 
work all week, and then a month later do the same thing. So she began to pray that God would uh, bring us back to Washington just so we could be with family. In the meantime, the ministry in in uh, Minneapolis was just knocking doubles. We saw over a th- several thousand people in a church of 900 come to a, a new relationship with Jesus. And I, my job with this extroversion I've got in me was to help these people get connected. So we get them in community groups or small groups. It was doing great. Wow. She was knocking doubles at her work, you know, and getting promotion after promotion. And But when our granddaughter got sick, it changed everything. And the church that we go to in Bellingham, they had a small group ministry, and the, their small group would— they caulked and painted my son and daughter-in-law's house. They mowed the yard. They would bring meals when my son would be back here or my daughter-in-law would be in Bellingham, bring meals over. And uh, we hired uh, our daughter, who was working part-time at a hospital, to granny, uh, to be a nanny for our oldest grandson. So anyway, it was just like God was in charge of this whole crazy thing going on. And uh, anyway, my son, this is a long, long story, but God was just incredibly kind to us through our church, through our church in Bellingham with our kids. And uh, it was the small group ministry, especially that was so good, you know, to my son and his family. Uh, Anyway, we get to move back. It's a whole nother long story, but we have just sensed, you know, God's hand on the big things. And so I'm really excited to say that the children's docs are telling our family that our daughter is cancer free. Mm -hmm. And that's a, they don't use words like that. Mm -hmm. But uh, anyway, she's, she's the miracle, the miracle girl. And how old is she today? Uh, she is just turned uh, 12. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. That's amazing. <laughs> it's so interesting to me, Bill, because you have spent your whole life serving people. I know, just imagine that you have married people, buried people, done hospital visits, nursing home visits, been there for people's tragedy. And here you were, your family was in tragedy. How did God use others to meet you in that? I mean, it sounds like the small group ministry was meeting your son. Were you met by other people in ways that you had done for years for them? Yeah. Uh, You know, he's going to get mad at me for saying this, but tough luck. Bob Marvel was, Bob and Doreen came to see our family from Bellingham, drove down to Seattle, and were there when we got there, right when Reese came out of her surgery that saved her life. And it was like Bob was there at one of the worst times of my life when I left our ministry, our church, mm-hmm. and then Bob shows up again at perhaps the worst time in our whole family's experience when our granddaughter almost died. Mm-hmm. And he brought people through the small group to take care of my kids, help them. Um, but we just knew people were praying for us and they told us that. I just, it's like Jesus is praised for people in the, after, right at the end of his last supper, he prays for all, all the disciples. And he wanted them to know that he was praying for them. And there's something about telling somebody that you're praying for them and you pray for them that is amazingly grace giving mm-hmm. uh, to know that someone loves you enough to pray for you. Mm-hmm. And that, that really helped. Um, and then just to see God answer again, maybe this is the difference between me and my wife. And I don't want to generalize it between husbands and wives, but maybe that would fit. 
but man, both of our, our, my ministry and her work were doing great. And so we had to say no to those perfectly good things because our family counted more. And Luis was just begging God for the opportunity to come back and just one miracle after another miracle after another miracle happened. Can I just tell you a couple of those things real quick? Yeah, absolutely. So like um, uh, a pastor I barely knew in Washington, and there was almost no churches looking for pastors. He was on Fox Island and he says, look, I need an older guy. And I qualified for being <laughs> my number two. And uh, would you be considered consider doing it? Long story. I said, yes, we go to Fox Island. Louise, again, has this great job in Minneapolis. She goes to tell her boss, hey, we're moving. Is there any way I can work remotely out of state? He says, I can't believe you're saying this because yesterday I heard that we're in a hiring freeze. I'm not going to be able to hire anybody more if you leave. I'm going to make it work so that you can work for me out of state. So we tell our small group, hey, we're going to be moving. We love you very much. And people get excited that we're leaving them. And I said, why are you excited? He says, we want to buy your house. And so it was just like, we sold our house to somebody in our small group. Mm. And uh, the church in Fox Island completely paid this mega amount of money to move us from Minnesota to Washington. It's expensive. Mm-hmm. And it's just thing after thing after thing got us back here. And then the job doesn't work out. After just over a year, it doesn't work out. And uh, it's not a bad deal on me or on, on the senior pet. We just weren't a good fit. Mm-hmm. And then anyway, I, we just saw God work big time coming out of the hardest time of our lives. Hmm. It's just hard to, we just don't know how you can't, you can't map that out. You can't plan for it, but he yeah. really does guide and provide in very practical ways. Well, and it was another time to move and here God yeah. kind of made the move happen for you in these incredible ways. And another really interesting piece of your story um, and, and we'll have to move through it quick. Cause I want to talk to you about what you're up to now, but after that, job didn't work out. You actually basically got a job offer from this pastor you've mentioned multiple times on this podcast, my pastor, Bob Markle, who, uh, not my pastor, but our pastor, you, you catch my drift. He invested in your life and in times of tragedy and, and had been there for you even before that in the time of isolation, then with your granddaughter and you got offered a job and have spent the last several years working on staff with him, which was a huge provision and obviously God's plan when he knew he was moving you out here to be with your granddaughter. You you recently stepped away from that job, from vocational ministry after 43 years of service. Would you say that you're retired? No way, baby. I don't think that the word <laughs> retirement is a Christian term. I mean, it's like saying, I'm going to step away from being a dad. Come on. You don't get mm-hmm. paid to be a dad. You do it because you're a dad. And mm-hmm. in me, there is something that God put as a Christian, not even just being a pastor. I, I don't, re- you don't retire from loving other people. You don't mm-hmm. retire from serving your community. You don't retire from whatever. That mm-hmm. rocking chairs may be nice, but they are not where we're supposed to spend most of our time. Hmm. And um, you recently were given the opportunity to lead an organization. And I, I, maybe I shouldn't ask you how old you are, but you, you just left vocational ministry at, would you say retirement age, but you're not calling yourself retired. You get this opportunity and you turned it down because you said you wanted to be a part of a movement rather than lead an organization. Yeah. What's the difference? I want to hear what your thoughts are. Yeah. Uh, well, 
I'm a better staff pastor than I am a senior pastor. I've half my life was senior, half my life was staff pastor. I knock doubles as a staff pastor. I knock singles as a senior pastor. So mm-hmm. when a, a friend asked me to lead this particular organization, it was would be in the senior role, not I don't want to go th- boards and I, it's not my favorite thing. I want to be out with the peeps. Mm-hmm. And um, that that shoe doesn't fit really well. It works. I can walk in that role, but I don't really run in that role. So yeah. um, I just want to see God work in a big time way. And part of that I am convinced is when we start seeing prayer, not so much as an obligation, it is that. But it's it's a time where we can enjoy the presence of the one who loves us the most. Think of it this way. It's like um, uh, you need to find your sweet spot. And uh, I am just convinced that God is waiting for his pastors, especially, to become really devoted to prayer. And I think if I were to say, if you were to look, if you're a Jesus person, or if you're not, and you ask, who in your life would you say is devoted to prayer? I don't know if if a lot of pastors would be on the list. They might be. Mm-hmm. I think pastors are doing all kinds of great things, and prayer is on the list. But if it were in the top five, I don't know how many pastors would of themselves would rate that prayer is in the top five things of what they do. And I think that the early Jesus community was known for its devotion to prayer. And um, I want to get back to that way of following Jesus. And so I want to be part of a movement where God is leading the movement. I don't want to be the executive director of that. Mm -hmm. I want to just see it happen. So what I'm doing these days is, We've started, uh, the gentleman who invited me to lead that prayer ministry, he and I have started a, a group for pastors to pray every Thursday. So we have 10 guys praying most every Thursday. And then what we're doing is we're starting another group. We're branching off that. And so we have a new group beginning in Linden. And then we have a new group beginning in downtown Bellingham of pastors who, who serve congregations that are in the downtown Bellingham area. So... In the process of doing all this, the Thursday group, the guys are saying this is the best guys group. We don't have any women pastors in it yet, but they're saying this is the best guys group they have ever been in because what we do is we go up in worship in awe of God. That gets the cobwebs out of prayer Mm -hmm. because you're with this amazing person telling him how good he is. Then we go inward and say, I'm struggling with X, Y, and Z. And then we go outward just for our county, Whatcom County. And the hour goes by like crazy. We use one passage of scripture. It could be a chapter or just a few verses. And we just focus on that. And so the scripture gives us ideas on what to pray. And many times we have no idea what to pray. But anyway, it's spirit-led. It's scripture-fed. And it's outwardly focused. And mm. I'll tell you, you can come alive doing that. And uh, so what we're trying to see is, I have a heart for the, what we call the big C church, and not only an individual small C congregation. And I'm hoping, you know, five years from now, what I'd love to see would be prayer groups in every neighborhood in Whatcom County. And in that prayer group, maybe meets once a month. There'd be people from different churches who really feel called to pray for that part of town. Mm-hmm. One of our pastors has gone off in another direction. He is getting a bunch of businessmen together and doing the very same thing with business leaders. And they are starting to pray together here in Whatcom County. So I have to let the, the vision be flexible. I don't know how it all is going to work, and I'm not in charge of the whole thing. But I'm a participant, and I am recruiting guys, seeing if they're interested in doing this. And in that way, I am part of. I want to be part of a movement where we see God work. 
Hmm. Bill, it it blows my mind that uh, in this season of your life, you continue to learn. You've been a lifelong learner. You've been a lifelong teacher and you're still teaching what you're learning, but you're also still serving. You still have big vision. You're not stopping. You're, you're still a part of wanting to participate in God's mission for the world. Paycheck, no paycheck, no matter how old, how young, uh, you're an inspiration to so many people. I want to thank you for inspiring us today. And I know there's people listening who might want to connect with you, hear more about this vision you have and be a part of it, or just want to reach out and talk to you. Can they connect with you in some way, Bill? Well, you know, I want to make a new friend every day, Willow. So uh, (laughs) yeah, that'd be great. Uh, Here's my email. I'll just say it. It's wjgilfillan. G-I-L-F-I-L-L-A-N, W.J. Gilfillan at gmail.com. So I'd, I'd, lo- I'd welcome an email. Yeah. Thank you, Bill, for being with us today. And for those of you listening, I hope that you know you belong and you are loved by God. If he's calling you to move, He will speak to you. Listen to him. Do not fight his call or his move. He wants to use your life in amazing ways. He wants to meet you, bless you, remind you that you matter. And he wants to use you in your service to impact this world. Let's try to be more like Bill this week. Keep colliding, friends, and we'll catch you next week. Thanks for tuning in. To keep up with us, you can find us on Instagram at we.collide, on Facebook as at We Collide Women, and you can also visit our website at wecollide.net to find our blog, resources, event information, and more. One last thing, if you enjoyed this episode, would you take a few seconds and leave us a review? It seems like such a small act, but reviews help us to keep producing this content and help other women find it too. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode and letting us walk with you as you seek and collide with Jesus.